The Bible reading is from Ephesians chapter 6, starting from verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armour of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly, as I should. Good evening, everyone. Lovely to see you at church. Well, you've probably got already the heads up from the passage that tonight we're talking about the reality of our spiritual context and that that is that we live and we follow Jesus and we seek to live for him in a context that that doesn't just have a good, good father at work in the world, but also an enemy uh, as well in a kingdom of darkness. So that's where we're going tonight. And I wanted to start by just maybe asking the question, where do you guys sit? How do you engage with this sort of topic? So if you imagine that this is a, a continuum, thank you. It's been a long day, third time's a charm. So on this end, so this end, if you're down that end, you're like, man, I like never ever think uh, of any kind of spiritual forces, anything that's kind of demonic or, or anti-God. In fact, never engage in that stuff. I think of it so little. I'm not even sure I believe they exist. And then up this end, there's the like, oh man, I, like, I stubbed my toe yesterday and for sure it was the devil. I'm kind of like the Ghostbusters of the spiritual battle realm. Up that end, I want you to just visualize and pick where would you be on this continuum. Turn to somebody and say, that's where I'll be and this is why. Thanks, everybody. That's all right. Can we bring it back? Can we bring it back? Uh, There's no wrong answers there, unless you lied to somebody, because that was a a where are you at uh, on this continuum. Uh, And then I want to ask you a question as well. You don't have to turn to anybody and share this um, with them. But when we even think about uh, the topic of spiritual battle, the satanic realm, uh, and all that kind of stuff, like what is what is some of the gut emotions that are there for you? Is it is it doubt? Is it dismissive? Is it you feel ill-equipped or maybe ill-informed? Are you scared and frightened of it? Or are you convinced of the reality of it? And do you walk in that kind of conversation with a sense of confidence because you know Jesus? Well, tonight what I want us to do is get our heads around two things that I think are very simple and very clear in the text. And the first is that this, that the spiritual battle is real. I want us to get our heads around that, an awareness that it is real, according to the scriptures and the testimony of plenty of people in this room. And I want that to lead us then to a state of alertness to it and prayerfulness about it. 
And the second that comes through really strongly in Ephesians 6 is just that awareness that actually we are equipped spiritually by God for this battle, that in a very real way, the spiritual victory is ours in Jesus and because of Jesus, and I want that to lead us to be strong in the Lord and to take our stand, which is the very words of Paul as he opens this passage. So I'm going to pray and we're going to jump in. Tonight, Jesus, we just want to celebrate you as the rightful head of this church. Jesus, tonight we want to celebrate you as the power above all powers, the one who sits exalted at the right hand of God the Father, the one to whom every knee will bow in heaven and uh, on the earth in in the future. So we recognise that you are the one, Jesus, that is victorious in this arena. We welcome you here. And Father, I would ask for your protection over us as your people as we engage with this issue. May we hear from you tonight and may there be nothing of the enemy that would come in to distract or to, to undermine your word being preached in power and us being, feeling equipped to then live for you in every area of our lives in the fullness that you would intend for us. So we just want to pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, always great to have them open. Physical copies are pretty sweet because you can like flash them to other people. But if you've got electronic versions, you're more than welcome to open those up as well. And I do love seeing that after a Sunday night, there's a, there's a flurry of Bible verse images that pop up on my Bible app from people who have made them here. So good job for those who are tracking the service doing that. Do that after the service. Listen to the... Anyways, finally, this is uh, Paul in verse 10 of chapter 6. Finally, so he's written a whole bunch of stuff up to this point. And for the rest of the book, he's going to focus in on this area. And he thinks it's obviously really important to, to start it that way. He says, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against fresh, flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, for the believers at Ephesus who are receiving this letter from Paul, this is not something new to them, nor is it something that is outside of their experience. So we read in the book of Acts that when Paul went to Ephesus and the church is planted, what we see is we see a city that is filled with all manner of spiritual stuff both Jesus stuff and a lot of stuff that's not of Jesus. And so you can read Acts chapter 19 when you get home. There's some really great stories in there. But we see an enormous amount of people being, in the name of Jesus, evil spirits being cast out. We see Christians trying to do that and not going very well for them. I love this, this verse that the scriptures records in Acts chapter 19. It says that the name of Jesus was held in high regard throughout the region after they saw the power confrontation between the powers of darkness and simply the name of Jesus coming into that city. And so the people respond with this incredible sense of Jesus is real, this spiritual battle is real, I need to choose a side. And so there are those in the church who have had that stuff in their background but haven't fully cleansed their life of it. And so, so they start coming to the apostles and saying, well, actually, we still have this stuff. And there's others in the city who are so moved by the power that's in the name of Jesus that they want to get rid of all their occult practices as well. And so they bring all these scrolls that have all their, well, I don't know, whatever stuff on it, um, in, in to do this ceremonial burning, this cleansing of like, we're done with that life. We're going to follow Jesus because he is the, he's the real deal. He is the one true power in the universe that we want to have over us. 
and they burn them publicly. And the scriptures record this is about uh, 50,000 drachmas worth of stuff. So I did a little bit of calculation because I always like to see, like, what does that mean in, in 2019 in, in Australia? And so based on 20 bucks an hour, eight-hour working day, we're talking about $8 million worth of stuff. So these people recognise that what they have is not of God, that it's of this enemy of the kingdom of the darkness, and they're like, we are done with this. We want to submit ourselves to the rightful lordship of Jesus. They bring $8 million worth of stuff together and just burn it. We're done with it. He is the one true Lord. So the church at Ephesus knows the spiritual battle is real. And so Paul writes them to remind them, well, all the stuff I've been talking about, this grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the oneness that you have with each other as the body, the way that you're now to live that out as beloved children, as, as children of the light, as you work out what it means to please the Lord and live for him, you need to be aware that that happens in the context of this spiritual battle. Dr. Lloyd-Jones, and he's not the first person to observe this, he says, I'm certain that one of the, the main causes of the ill state of the church today is the fact that the devil is forgotten. All is attributed to us, right? It's about our cleverness and our resources and and our strategies and what's going on in culture. He goes on to say, we've become so psychological in our attitude and our thinking and we've become ignorant of this very great objective fact and that is the existence of the devil, the adversary, the accuser and his fiery darts, which Paul refers to. So I said I wanted uh, us to grab our heads around two things. This is the first one. Be aware of the spiritual battle. Be aware that spiritual forces are in fact real. This is not a projection uh, or a personification of our human need to explain bad things and bad people. Don't know if you've ever come across that thought in society. Nor is it just some kind of ancient superstitious people who weren't able to explain the world around them in the scientific knowledge that we have now, aren't we so clever, and so therefore had to put that onto a malevolent being and kingdom and realm. Satan and the demonic realm exists, and the ministry of Jesus and the record of the scriptures and the teaching of the scriptures, and certainly in, in more than anecdotal evidence of people today. Be aware that we are each engaged in a struggle, a spiritual battle. That's Paul's language. For our struggle, verse 12, is not against flesh and blood. That word struggle can also be translated wrestle. Now, I was thinking about getting a few people up to do some sock wrestling to to demonstrate this, but we've got instruments and things on stage, and I I wasn't sure how to go down. But, But the idea of a wrestle is like that's up close and personal, right? I think for some of us, particularly in Australia, sitting in churches uh, where we've grown up in a fairly secular society, we think that that spiritual battle is the kind of stuff that happens out there or, or up there, or, or that's the stuff for the, for the missionary on, on the cross-cultural mission field. No, no, we each are engaged in a spiritual battle. It is personal. That is the idea. We need to recognise that even though Christ has ultimately won the victory, that the evil spiritual forces continue to have real power and influence in this world until he returns. Uh, And the words or the titles that Paul uses here in Ephesians chapter 6 speak to some of their characteristics. You know, rulers points to their power and their thirst for power. Authorities speak to their strength and their ability to bring that strength to bear. The powers of this dark world point to their wide influence throughout our society. And the spiritual forces of evil point to their intent and character. These are those who set themselves up against the goodness and the greatness of God and his plans for human flourishing under his lordship. And finally, since we're called to take a stand against the devil's schemes, 
Satan does have many schemes that would come against us. And later these are described as fiery darts. And these attacks would seek to move us from that place of enjoying life under God as he intends for us. So I'd be really interested to hear some of your stories, probably not now, but about um, over supper, about how sometimes you've experienced spiritual attack um, in your own life. Uh, I know anecdotally and in my own life, sometimes you can actually experience the very real presence of evil or or the demonic. And I remember a time in in my teenage years where I felt that quite palpably in my own room, and I've experienced that in the context of churches and ministry settings and also just being out in places that were... I didn't realise, but later realised that we were renowned for, for occult activity. But I think often the devil is, and his accusations are far more subtle in our lives because if we have a power confrontation with something that's not of God, what are we going to do? We're going to run to God, right? And so the enemy comes in quite subtly, and it's not scripture. <laughs> but if you want to read C.S. Lewis's screw tape letters, there's certainly some great, I think, some insight and some wisdom and some stuff that we can glean from there. But often I think the enemy works in causing us to doubt the goodness of God or doubt the truth of God. We certainly see the way he works throughout Scripture in terms of twisting Scripture. Did God really say that? Or misapplying Scripture that we see with Jesus in his temptation in the wilderness. That idea that he is the accuser, Romans 12, who will continue to accuse us falsely, that we are not good enough or we have no right standing with God. The reinforcement of false narratives, he can use circumstances, he can actually work in our bodies and in our health, and so on and so forth. Is this okay? Is everyone with me so far? For some of you, you're like, dude, I got no, this is what, whoa, what church have I just turned up in? And others, you're like, yeah, of course, man, I experience that all, all the time. So for me, I just think really practical present example is that my wife and my daughter have been sick for like weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks, seven weeks. And I haven't preached during that seven weeks and I haven't got sick during those weeks. And yet here I am preaching today and I woke up at 4am this morning with my glands swollen and super hard. I've been sucking on uh, lozenges all day and I've been going on them. I think I'm, I'm up to number two in this sermon already. So, And you know, sometimes you might go, oh, that's just circumstance, Travis. That's just a coincidence. Let's not get carried away. Uh, but my experience was that I went through a couple of years there where every time, not every time, um, whenever I got sick, it, it aligned with a preaching week. And to the point where I'm just like, this is more than coincidence. Take from that what you will. But I certainly have seen that, and missions that come back from the mission field have the most crazy stories of the way they experience some of that pushback in the spiritual. I've been talking to people all day who have been sharing some of their stories, like someone who's a youth leader just saying, like, actually, every time I need to do something of a spiritual content for a Friday night, I, like, I feel that like, resistance, like there's almost something uh, coming against me. One lady was sharing, and I thought this was a really, really great insight just around relational stuff with her husband. She said he'd done something that had angered her, but that she hadn't been able to let go of it. Like, it kind of like lingered and she didn't know what to do with it. And she shared it with another believer here. And the person went, dude, that's spiritual. Let's pray about that. And, it, and straight away lifted and they were able to reconnect. And I thought that's just a, that was a great little story as well. But, but yeah, interested to hear some of your stories. Because I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. He says, for we are not unaware of the devil's schemes. We're not unaware. We're alert to them, we're wise to them, and therefore we can navigate them with the power that God provides. And so our response, I think, is what I want us to get into our heads today anyway, is our response is not to be dismissive of the spiritual battle that we live in, nor is it to try and cost ourselves away in escapism and try and pretend like it's not really there and just get on with living our lives. 
nor do we need to be fearful or frightened or afraid, but we just need to step into what the scriptures call us to step into, which is prayerfulness and alertness. And so Paul writes to the church in Ephesus and he says, So pray on in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests, and with this in mind, be alert. With this in mind, be alert and always keep praying for the Lord's people. We're in this together. And as we pray, we beseech the one who is the power above all powers, and he leads us and he guides us. And oftentimes, it's been my experience, he will reveal an area or something in my life where maybe there is something not of God going on, or maybe he wises me up to maybe what the enemy is doing in an area as well. And so what I want to do is actually just want to give us each uh, a chance tonight just to actually ask God if he would draw our attention maybe to something that's going on in our lives where we have not recognised actually the spiritual battle. So is there an area in your life where you need to become more aware of that? Maybe it's a, a key relationship like I was sharing about from, from a lady from the morning service. Maybe it's a key ministry area where you, you're trying to do something for God but you feel it's like something's not making sense as to why we're not seeing the fruit. Maybe it's a decision, maybe it's an attitude, maybe it's something within you. A spiritual, so we're just going to ask God to reveal that to us now. So if you're cool, I'm just going to pray and then shut up for a sec. Yeah, Heavenly Father, to us, the enemy is unseen. Father, we know that you are in control of all things and that you see all things. By your kindness and just through the presence of your spirit, God, if there is something that you wish to open our eyes to that's going on in our lives, that we might be equipped to pray into that, I just ask, Lord, that you would speak now. Father. Cool. There's something there. I'd love to be praying into that with you, obviously. There's a bunch of people in this church who like to pray with you. We like praying with each other. It's the thing we do. So make sure you don't leave tonight before actually just, just praying into that and just being aware of it and being alert in whatever relationship, ministry, decision, context that maybe you felt God speak into there as well. So that makes sense? First half. We need to be aware that we live in a spiritual battle and then allow that to drive us to prayer and just a state of alertness. Like We're not afraid, we're not frightened, we're not trying to dismiss it, we're not trying to doubt it, we're just, yep, that's that, that's cool, and we're going to pray and we're going to be alert. And the reason we don't, kind of don't need to be too concerned, obviously, is because we need to be also aware of our spiritual resources, that as God's people, Christ has the victory and he has, in fact, triumphed over not just our sin and the consequences of sin, but all the dominion of darkness through his death and his resurrection. It's a great passage that talks about him triumphing uh, over them by the cross and obviously he's now been raised well above every power and authority in the heavenly places and Paul's already mentioned that in Ephesians chapter 1 chapter 2 and chapter 3 so it's not new in the letter either and so Paul will then to try and communicate this to the people will borrow from a very visible illustration that they would see all the time and that people would automatically get and that is the armor of God so little hands up little show of hands have you ever being in a Sunday school class where you looked at armour of God or a Bible study where you looked at the armour of God or in a sermon where you looked at the armour of God. Cool, because guess what? We're probably not going to do it justice in about three minutes here. But this is great stuff and often we'll spend a whole week or a whole sermon on each of the different elements of the armour because there is so much here for us to grab hold of. So I'm going to do the flyover version today. 
And I think it's really important for us, if you're unaware, Paul borrows from the image of a Roman centurion and the armor that they wore. This would be incredibly like in the forefront of people's minds because these dudes were everywhere. Rome is like a... Anyways, like, like, like they, they're conquering the known world. Uh, at the time, they're still in the ascendancy. And by the time Paul writes Ephesians, they're only a couple of decades off having the most landmass under their control in the history of the Roman Empire. They obviously consolidate and all that kind of stuff later. But in terms of straight out conquest stuff, you would have seen Roman centurions everywhere. And uh, I think it's really important for us to understand that they are an image of strength, of confidence, of danger, and much to the distaste probably of the Jews, victors. They are an image of victors and reigning victors, those who conquest their enemies and win battles. They were the ones that took ground, kept ground, and spread their influence across the region in an astonishingly decisive way. And so to the Christian, Paul is saying, you're not to be some frightened, defenseless, puny human when it comes to the spiritual battle. No, you actually need to understand that you are perfectly armoured and equipped for this battle. And together, goodness gracious, watch out for the lands that you will take in the name of Jesus. And so if you've never seen a Roman centurion, thankfully there are grown men who like to dress up from previous eras. So it looks like a little bit like this in the modern day, probably a little bit cleaner than, than an original Roman centurion, possibly a little bit softer, I'm not, not going to lie, not battle-hardened, but you get what's going on. So they got a pretty serious kit up, and this has obviously been developed over a while in order for them to be the most effective in battle, which at the time is predominantly hand-to-hand combat. Uh, you're very aware of that. And so, so Paul borrows this image, and he speaks through a bunch of things that the Roman centurion would wear. Not all of them, but he pretty much covers the main ones. And the first is this idea of this belt. Now, I'm wearing a belt today. To be honest, it's mostly decoration. I've got enough. Anyways, it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> It's the kind of thing you wear at home, it's part of your dress. Forget that. Belt was the first thing that they would put on when they were getting ready to go into battle. So this is the centrepiece that everything else hangs off. So they would have worn an under tunic under that. So you, need, you know that phrase, gird your loins? And you go, I have no idea what that means. Well, this is the kind of thing you, like, you tuck everything in so that you can run and you can do everything and have movement. But the breastplate would actually connect in with it. The sword would hang off it. So if you went into battle without your belt, you're going to be in trouble. Um, you're not going to be able to concentrate. Things aren't going to work as they should. So that kind of centerpiece there for the Christian is actually the, God's truth, God's revealed truth, the truth of who he is and the truth for lives that he calls us into. And that breastplate obviously is then covering that kind of real vital organ stuff, um, both front and back for a Roman centurion. And this, in Paul's mind, is the righteousness that, that is given to us, gifted to us by grace through Jesus Christ. And that's particularly important since the enemy is often called the accuser. So he'll often fly, fly thinking, you know, you're not good enough. How could God ever love someone like you? All that kind of stuff that cuts right into that place of relationship with God. That breastplate of righteousness protects our vitals, if you like. We're able to repel that and say, no, actually, Jesus has won the victory for me. He has paid the price in full. According to heaven and according to scriptures, I stand righteous before the king of heaven and can enter his courts confidently because of what Christ Jesus has done. Making sense? We're doing the flyover. I told you flyover. So that's, uh, that's that. 
We move on then um, to shoes. All you uh, shoes shoppers out there, this is uh, for the Roman centurion. This would be uh, Caligai, was the very specific footwear that they would wear into battle. So it's kind of like they get this leather strappy thing. But on the bottom, there's these massive studs. Uh, and the idea is, uh, obviously, they walk incredible distances. That's why the Romans were so great at like building roads and other kinds of things like that. So they'd walk incredible distances and they were able to do this in these Caligai, these specifically made shoes. But they were designed for battle. They were designed so you wouldn't lose your footing, so you wouldn't be able to fall over, that you'd be able to hold ground and continue to walk forward. If it was slippery, muddy, you're on a a grassy knoll, or if you're in the heat of battle and there's gory bits all around you and all that kind of stuff, your feet were secure and you weren't going to fall over. And for Paul, this is the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. The very good news about Jesus is the stuff that means we don't fall over. We're not shaky on our feet. When, when different things come our way, we're able to just, we're able to lock down, we're able to stand our ground or to take ground because we know the peace that comes from the gospel of Jesus Christ. As, as Isaiah did celebrate, how beautiful uh, are the feet of those who bring good news. For the Christian, how beautiful are the Caligai of those, I don't know, who bring good news, maybe. I don't know. Then you've got the shield of faith, and this is not like some puny thing. This is an epic shield. So this is about four foot high, so it's probably about twice the size of me, and it's about two and a half uh, feet wide. So a significant size shield that's able to protect effectively all of your vital organs. It's covered in leather on the outside, which they would wet before going into battle so that if uh, an arrow with pitch on it that was set alight or something else was flung at you, it would maybe hit your shield, but it wouldn't set your shield alight. It would extinguish all the fiery darts of your enemy, just like faith does when it comes to the spiritual battle with our enemy in the spiritual realm. So your helmet of salvation obviously protects your noggin. I believe that's important for life and for thought and to see where the next coffee break is. And so that was obviously in in Paul's mind saying like one of the key things for us and our mind, um, that battle battlefield of our mind is to actually put on our understanding of how Christ has saved us. And then the offensive weapon in there, though a few of those others would be used in battle offensively as well, a particular spikes on the shoes to kick people in the shield of faith. They'd bash people in the face. Anyway, it doesn't matter. It's I'm not giving you martial lessons today. But the sword of the spirit was this short sword, was double-edged and kind of like thrust in. It's very gory. Anyways, this is the, this is the wrestle piece. And here in Paul's mind, this is uh, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And as I said, we, use, we see Jesus use this particularly effective against the enemy in his testing in the wilderness. To quote back scripture appropriately, that just cuts the knees out of what Satan is trying to do in his life and derail him from walking into the fullness of the, the purposes of God. So uh, that's the flyover, obviously. I'm happy to explore that and talk about that in, in any way, shape or form after the message and would encourage you to actually sit with and track through what each of those mean for you, that idea of God's truth, his salvation, what faith looks like, what the gospel of peace truly is, and actually know the word of God for the spiritual battle. But where I want to land kind of this section is the idea that although Rome designed this perfect equipment for their soldiers and gave them to them, equipped them with it, it was each soldier's responsibility to maintain. And it was each soldier's responsibility to make sure that they put on their full armour before going into battle. And the same is true for us as Christians. We have this incredibly well-equipped victory garb, if you like, that Christ has perfectly designed for us to live for him in the context of the spiritual battle. And yet we need to be making sure that we are actually putting this on, that this is where we are living from. 
And when you actually think about what these guys look like together, obviously these guys are not well trained and they are reenacting. They're, they're playing, grown men playing, that's okay. But even from this sense, for me, even from this sense of, of half a dozen ten guys dressing up in this garb, you get a sense of, dude, that's, that's intimidating. If that was coming towards you and you're going into battle, you would be a little bit like, I think these guys have my measure, right? So you, you multiply that out by hundreds of people, of battle-hardened Roman centurions who know their equipment and know how to use their equipment and know how to work and move alongside other Roman centurions. And you can see why these guys ascended so mightily in the day and the age. And I think for us, we actually need to get understand this, that in the context of the spiritual battle, this is the church. And we're not playing at it. We are like the Roman centurions of the day. We are battle-hardened because we're living and we're finding faith and we're sharing faith and we're learning what it means to grow up into the fullness of Christ in the context of the spiritual battle and doing that in partnership and alongside one another. And so when it comes to our response, our response is simply to be strong in him, in the Lord, and to put on the full armour of God so that we can stand. And the standing which Paul speaks of is not that of a brick wall that is waiting passively, as if it were, for the, for the battering ram to come. The soldiers referred to here, are they're drawn up in battle array. They're the ones that are rushing into the fight. They are both defending themselves, but they're also attacking and making ground. And only when we make use of the full armour will we also be able to stand our ground, withstand the foe, stand up to him, repulse him and even gain ground. To use an image that Paul has already used in Ephesians, we are light in the Lord. There is no need for us to be afraid of the darkness. And so I want to end with a prayer that Paul has already prayed in Ephesians that speaks of the power of Christ, the power of Christ that is actually at work in each of us. And I pray this would strengthen you for the spiritual battle that you live and you follow Jesus in the context of. For you not to be afraid of that, not for you to doubt that, not for you to be dismissive of that, but simply be aware, be prayerful, and be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. This is Paul's prayer. I'm going to pray it over us. Jesus, I want to pray that the eyes of each heart here tonight might be enlightened, that we each would know the hope to which you have called us, the riches of our glorious inheritance as your holy people. God, would you gift us the understanding of the incomparably great power for us who believe in you. For us to know what it means that that power is the same as the mighty strength you exerted when you raised Christ Jesus from the dead and seated him at your right hand in the heavenly realms. God, we recognise that he is now far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is evoked, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. God, we recognise that all things have been placed under Jesus' feet. And you've appointed him to be head over everything for the church. And we are his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So Jesus, by your great strength and your great power, I pray that you will continue to equip us to be bold and courageous, to stand firm, to continue to walk in the life that you have won for us. Give us eyes to see the spiritual battle that rages around us. And give us hearts that are not afraid, that do not tremble, that do not retreat, but simply stand our ground knowing that the battle is already won. That Jesus, you are the conquering king, the reigning Lord, 
and for eternity, that will never change. Thank you, Jesus, that we bear your name. Thank you, Jesus, that you rescued us from the dominion of darkness. Thank you, Jesus, that we are now placed in your kingdom, and that is an unshakable fortress. Through this church, Jesus, I want to pray that your light would shine in increasing brightness in this dark world, that the very plans and the purposes of the enemy would be continued just to foil and come to nothing here in in this place, and that, God, only your good and perfect plan for each of us and for our community of faith here will continue to find, yeah, it will come into reality in increasing measure. Lord, we look forward to all that you are going to do in us, around us, among us, and through us in the days and months and years ahead until Jesus returns. Amen.